While we await Aaron Rodgers, there's actually some news with the Jets as well at wide receiver. Outkick 360 rolls on just like that. The second hour is here. We will chat with Tim Brando about the Sweet 16, Fox Sports Hoops play-by-play voice. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to that. Plus John Fanta in a little over an hour from the Field of 68, Big East Insider. He chatted with Rick Pitino yesterday after the presser at St. John's. So Elijah Moore, wide receiver formerly of the New York Jets, has been traded to the Browns. And Mikol Hardiman has signed with the Jets. So they replace Moore with Hardiman. And Moore is now headed to Cleveland. And Chad, the Jets continue to make moves on offense. And the big one we continue to wait on is Aaron Rodgers. I was talking to a Jets fan here okay. at Six and Peabody today. That's, that's down from New York. And uh, it was just amazing getting this still this sense of disbelief that it's actually going to work out. You know, it's just that, well, you know, is it even if it does work, it probably won't. But even if they make the trade happen, is he going to be any good? And I get it. If you're a Jets fan, you're, you're I mean, probably smart to be a little bit reluctant to jump all in and get really excited about things. But I look at this and I think they're, they're going to be good. They're going to have a good roster. They had a good team last year that fell a little bit short and mainly because quarterback, yep. maybe only because of quarterback a year ago and some other key injuries. Aaron Rodgers is a definite upgrade. I think it's going to work. Call me foolish for being this optimistic on the Jets, but as long as they can pull this off, which they will eventually, may not be in the time that everyone wants, but this team is going to be just fine, and they're a playoff team. So in early in, in March, he Mark Murphy was at a Wisconsin girls basketball state tournament game, and he was asked about Rodgers and the Packers. This was a couple weeks ago. And the quote there from NFL.com, Murphy, the team president of the Packers, was very blunt. I mean, he didn't say he's gone, but he did. Yeah, I mean, unless things don't work out the way we want them, suggesting like they clearly don't want Rodgers back, but unless things don't work out the way they want them to, yeah, he could be back. Saying, we hope he's playing somewhere else. He comes out of the darkness retreat, says he wants to be a Jet, the Packers have moved on, this has been a done deal, whatever, and now they wait on the terms of the, of the trade. But... Uh, most recently, he was speaking at some summit at Lambeau Field. Uh, always looking for an excuse to go to Lambeau. If you haven't, bucket list. Go to this tech summit uh, if you're looking for an excuse to go after football season. Uh, but the quote from Monday from Mark Murphy, way different, uh, and toned down. And you can tell he's been told to shut up. Quote, I would love to tell you everything you want to know about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, but I'm sworn to secrecy not to say anything. Uh, just like the Panthers are sworn to secrecy not to release their number one overall selection prior to that Thursday night around 7.15. Um, yeah, no surprise he's silent now. But you can tell based on the earlier comments that within the organization, they're done. And it's time to get this show on the road. It's time for the Jets to pay up. And I think you speak of the Jets fan, they're like, is this really going to happen? It's going to happen whenever the, the Jets determine, okay, here's the true value for where we can be at the end of the 2023 season and make sure that you're not paying more than this year for what the production is going to be. Cause you, the jets are going to be in this situation a year from now. I mean, the, Rogers has received a contract uh, based on his terms, the last two off seasons. And it's the same storyline rinse and repeat. The jets are signing up for that to win and you can win with that roster and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, but Make sure that you're not shipping them off or 
he's not retiring after one season in New York. Yeah, and it's also going to come down to how motivated the Packers are to make something happen before the draft because they want draft picks in, in this class yeah. as a part of it or a draft pick in this class. It, it is going to happen. I, I, I still fall on the side of the Packers have all the power now, so it's smart of the president to keep his mouth shut at this point because it's the Jets that have to pull this off, and it's the Packers sitting back saying, you've got to get make it happen. Here's what it's going to take. Here's what we want this year. Here's what we want next year. Andrew Brandt talked about the escalator, that one half of this deal should already be done, yeah. which is a fourth to maybe first-round pick based on availability and performance of Aaron Rodgers and the Jets team as part of the trade. So that part of it you can make happen pretty easily. Yeah, I think that the Packers are in a the, the power spot right now for this trade. I also think it was a great job of journalism with a capital J, whoever approached the president at the girls' state basketball tournament and yeah. got that quote because it was a pretty dumb thing to say and very revealing that probably caught him at an awkward time and he just answered honestly. And now you've got him saying, yeah, I'm not going to talk on this anymore. I've been sworn to secrecy. I think it's also interesting. You, uh, the, the former offensive coordinators, uh, Todd Haley and Charlie Weiss, also former head coaches, they, they were commenting on Jordan Love because this is the other storyline. And the fact that Brian Gutenkist and Mark Murphy, the organization, I guess Lafleur, although you haven't really heard from him yet, they're ready to go with Jordan Love. And Chad, I mean, this is also a sign that now's the time to move on to Jordan Love. Not just contractually. If it was a contract issue, you have him on a rookie contract. And if you're not ready to move to him, just keep Rodgers and... and play the future Hall of Famer and move on from Jordan Love via trade if you want to. They think he's ready. And I go back to, was it a Thursday night? It was a, it was a night game in Chicago, maybe, um, on the road, where Rodgers got hurt and went in right before halftime. Jordan Love came off the bench, and the team played with more energy immediately. Uh, I, I think that's a sign in the right direction for love and the offense knowing that you know the drama that's been brewing behind the scenes with this the locker room seems a bit ready to move on and they played harder for Jordan Love in that specific game where he left where Rodgers left via injury and came back out with Jordan Love to begin the second half I think of it I mean there's so we don't know but that I mean that's the untold story here there's so many parallels to the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers part yeah, of this and getting traded to the Jets because that first Packers team with Rodgers was the same way you're explaining right now with the energy increase. It, it felt like the guys played harder and better for Aaron Rodgers and there was a yeah. different, hey, it's us against everyone else now, right? This is our guy. He's waited his turn. He's been, you know, the guy who's been pushed aside. No one's thinking about, and now we're rolling with him, mm -hmm. and he's our guy. Maybe the Packers respond that way. I just have a hard time believing that Jordan Love is anything approaching the talent level of well, Aaron Rodgers. Well, Even I, Aaron Rodgers starting in year four for the first time. I, I don't disagree with that. It's not the same quarterback, so you're not going to get the same output. Well, I mean, they're, they're full of you-know-what BS if they're, if they're trying to say they already know. They don't know. But they drafted him for a reason. And if you're just going to, three years later, trade him without knowing, 
Now's the time to move on if you've got the Jets willing to pony up and give you something. For a quarterback that's going to drag you down this path for as long as you'll you'll be willing to let him. Um, I, I, I think now's the time. It's an obvious move. And they have to be comfortable enough to say, you know what, it's time to ride with, with Jordan Love and it's time to move on yet again from a franchise player, uh, one of the best we've ever seen, and try out a new guy. Look, I let's, think- let's throw him in the fire. And, and you've got to figure it out. But if you had a chance, I, I think also part of this is where are they in the pecking order of championship status with Rodgers? We saw yeah. that last year, right? Yeah. And also, you know what you're going to get with Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have his Aaron Rodgers-esque attitude about everything. He's, he's not, not going to give much. you, he's going to kind of play around with you and not give you full answers. Right. And he's going to answer questions with questions and do all of those things. But if I'm the Jets, and look, they, they're already down this road. They know what they want. They, they know what he wants. I would, and maybe he told him this. I would have loved to have heard just a, I think I can play two or three more years. Even if it was just that, not a guarantee, mm-hmm. not any of that. But if Aaron Rodgers said, it doesn't have to be overwhelming reassurance, but even the words, I think I'm physically capable of playing two or three more years. I would have loved to have heard that if I was the Jets. Because if not, we're going back into a darkness retreat after the next season. <laughs> no doubt. And it's just going to start, even if you know in the back of your mind, him saying this right now in passing or just in a conversation doesn't mean he's going to play two or three more years. I still would have liked to have heard that just reassurance that my body feels okay. I think I've got maybe three years left in me. An honest acknowledgement of the time left to play quarterback at not even the highest level, because he's not going to be at the highest level of his career now at this point, but at a high level for two or three years. If he even said, I think I can do this, I'd feel a lot better if I were the Jets brass at that point. I doubt he did. I doubt he will, knowing Aaron Rodgers. And even if he did, and you're the Jets, you're thinking, that's great. I feel a little better, but you're still going to go into a darkness retreat after next season. We're going to start the whole song and dance over again. I'm just saying personal preference. If I'm the Jets, I'd love to hear that. For sure. And and best thing they heard, though, is – Miraculously, he came out of the darkness retreat, and the vision he had was he was a green. Jets, it's it's Jets green. Yeah, green, green and white, not green and gold. Yeah, is, is Lamar seen purple? I'd he will if you pay him the right amount, right? Uh, Lamar Jackson, we we've hit on this, but the Ravens have played this very well to where if they lose him, they're getting two first round picks automatically, and if they if Lamar goes out and hits. The market, which he can do right now, and teams are not going to pony up to whatever the guarantee was, which was 68% of the total contract was fully guaranteed to Lamar Jackson. That's the report on the last offer made by the Ravens prior to last season. If there's not a better offer there, well, on average, they're paying a little more per year than what the guarantee would be on the exclusive franchise tag, which is $45 million. 46 million. Lamar, his final offer was on average around 50 to 52, I believe. He wants more than that. He wants the Watson contract. I would too if I'm Lamar Jackson, based on what he's done, both on and off the field, to represent, quote unquote, the shield, um, which was all the buzz at this time last year for Watson getting the deal where he didn't do that and he was going to be suspended. I also understand the injury concerns of Lamar Jackson. And at worst, under this tag where they can tag him again after this upcoming season. They've got him for two seasons, and they're going to pay him on the exclusive tag 
about, what, $11 million less uh, than the exclusive tag, the non-exclusive tag that he's under now, and they get a chance to renegotiate or just say, hey, uh, here's our offer from last year. Do you want it? This is where he needs the agent. I'll, I'll hit that again, Chad. But he's got representation putting out there that there's, they're starting to get some interest. He doesn't want to be in Baltimore. He wants someone to pick up the phone. It's a sign of desperation. And it's a sign that whatever has happened to this point has not included a phone call to Lamar Jackson from a general manager that says, hey, here's the offer, and it's better than what you've received. Take it to Baltimore for a match. They haven't received that yet, or we know that. Instead, the news that's out there is he's not wanting to be in Baltimore anymore. I don't buy that for a bit. He will if they pony up and pay him, and if they don't, another team has to, or he's going to be in Baltimore again. And that's the, the cyclical nature of this storyline. They need another team involved. I don't understand how that's even a report. I, I don't know why he would be floating that out there or that would be reported that he's ready to move on from Baltimore. I just don't understand the motivation there. Unless you believe that Baltimore is up to some shenanigans with the rest of the league and you're not getting what you want because Baltimore's interfering with other teams. In that case, I can understand how you would be personally disgusted yeah. and not want to go back to that place and just say, you know what, I'll take the... I'll take less money than I think I'm worth to go play somewhere else at this point, and I'm ready to move on from this group because they basically hamstrung me around the league to where I've got to go back and take their offer. Also interesting that he's saying he doesn't want a fully guaranteed contract, that he's not seeking that. Um, so I think the expectation level has gone down for Lamar Jackson. But I keep coming back to something you've been hammering home, this point that where is the interest? If you look at quarterback situations across the league, Lamar Jackson is an upgrade at most places. Right now, the highest-paid quarterbacks, just on the, the, the money owed in 2023, Rodgers at 50.3, and he's going to have a cap hit of much higher than that. Russell Wilson is number two in the NFL, and number three is Kyler Murray, getting $46 million a year. Deshaun Watson, by the way, is also getting $46 million, and that's fully guaranteed. The future deal for Murray is, of course, not, but... The presumption is if he's not wanting the fully guaranteed money that Watson received, he's wanting to be above annually and guaranteed-wise where Kyler Murray is. And I don't think that's a massive ask at all. But per reports, the Ravens have already offered him that type of level. And that's what he's going to end up agreeing to unless another team comes to the table. And if he doesn't agree to it, he's going to, pay, he's going to end up making $11 million less than what he could have underneath the franchise tag. I'm also not sure that Lamar Jackson just translates to every offensive system and, and personnel with every offense. And not every, not every team can give up two first-round well, picks. Me, let me give you two teams that I think he does translate to. Atlanta and Tennessee. Yes. Are two that right away jumped to mind. The, the, mentioned it yesterday, but the Titans now are the Vegas second-best odds to land Lamar Jackson behind Baltimore. There's something there. And I think a lot of it has to do with I look at the Titans' offensive roster and with Derrick Henry and think, this works. This could work. What Lamar Jackson does could very much work with this run-oriented team and what they want to do. And it would be a major upgrade from Ryan Tannehill to Lamar Jackson and what he brings to the table. So if that's, maybe that's a spot to watch, but there's still – every time I throw that out there, I see that I don't know what's going on because yeah. no one seems to be 
picking up the phone and calling the guy from what we know. A lot of teams are quarterback But how much needy. of it is real because he doesn't even have an agent, so we don't really know. Yeah, they're going to get involved in the draft, and if they don't, maybe things pick up right then. Uh, and a lot of teams are cap-strung right now. You've got to make a lot of moves to make it work. Coming up, Sweet 16, a big discussion with Tim Brando. What's the best matchup over the course of the weekend and the first two days, uh, starting tomorrow and then on Friday? Tim Brando will answer that next on Outkick 360. Glad you're with us from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton and Withrow here. Chad, I thought about our next guest over the, uh, the long weekend, first weekend. Tim Brando joins us from Fox Sports uh, because he picked Arizona to win the national championship. And hey, I mean, everyone's bracket is busted, Tim, but whenever they lost, I A said, lot well, of people picked Arizona to win it all, yeah, too. Yeah, I'm glad that we had Tim on prior to the loss so we could discuss uh, the expectations for the Wildcats versus where things ended up. Hope you're doing well. Just amazed you guys called me back after that <laughs> got awful performance I had uh, on your last show. But I, I, I've been doing these for quite some time. I actually won a few pools in my time. I actually put the one at ESPN out of existence for money because I, I won it a couple of times too many after I'd stopped working there. But um, but but this was awful. I mean, I, I've, I've never been so wrong so fast. Uh, last year, I lost Iowa right away. I didn't have them winning at all, but I had them going to the Final Four. Here's a memo for everybody now. Do not pick the Big Ten tournament champion. Okay, just don't pick them because obviously they're hungover going into the first round of the uh, of the NCAAs. That happens too. I mean, uh, when you see what happened to Purdue, what happened to Iowa, uh, just amazing. Arc. I mean, clearly Arizona. Um, I thought Iowa would be able to beat Auburn. They didn't. Um, Auburn moved on to the second round. It's just, I've said this a few times before, I know, and I don't want to regurgitate the same material over and over again, but we can no longer look at numerals next to names of teams and associate that with really how good they are. Okay. It is not at all about the seedings. It's about the matchups. And, um, you know, this is a recession proof event. I love it. Even, even though I embarrassed myself the way I did with you guys last week and anybody else that wanted to talk to me, but just a fantastic uh, first couple of rounds, and and I don't think it's going to stop. I think we'll still still see some upsets uh, this weekend. I do. It's also so difficult, I think, to get a grasp on how you judge the entire season versus the way the team looks going into the tournament or in the first part of the tournament. And does that really even translate from the first weekend to the second weekend, or from the conference tournament to the tournament? Princeton yeah. is a good example, right? Princeton. If you look at them, we're going to show our rankings for the Sweet 16. We had this discussion mm -hmm. before the show. Almost everyone put yeah. them probably at 16. But the way they're playing yeah. right now, they're not. They're right. not the worst team in the Sweet 16. So how do you square the two? I think that's difficult at times, Tim. Well, I don't think you can necessarily square it. Uh, I was just really lucky those times when I did come away with uh, enough. And, and frankly, uh, shockingly, I'm, I'm not surprised that I'm this bad now. It happens. Yeah, you know, it's just the way it is. And I, I do think that again, 
we do put too much stock in the conference tournaments. There's no doubt about that. Marquette, I felt, really had enough offense to overcome the physicality of, of Michigan State. I thought long and hard about it. But you saw what happened. Mr. March performed it yet again. And great coaches are able to eliminate the top players, the top scorers on their teams. I mean, uh, that was the worst game Tyler Kolick had that I've seen all year. And, you know, Tom Izzo did it. And, you know, he's he's had uh, tremendous tournament acumen in terms of preparing teams on quick turnarounds from the first to the second rounds. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes many times. I followed uh, national championship runs for him in 99. Uh, and in the 2000 season that he won the national title. I followed him when he got teams that weren't expected to get past the second round and they got to the final four, you know, in 2010, 2009. Uh, he's just, he's an amazing March coach. And uh, I don't know that he'll ever win another national title. I know he wants it. That's why he's still at it. He's such a competitor. But my goodness, uh, his legacy will always be his his runs into the Sweet 16 and and not getting eliminated in the first two rounds, almost any any year. Well, speaking of great March coaches, put Eric Musselman of Arkansas into that category. <laughs> I love this yeah, matchup. You, yeah. you called Big East games all year, Tim. UConn is a team that I love to watch. They've got great depth. Now they get Arkansas, and this this Arkansas team, especially an Eric Musselman team, it's got to be a scary matchup for anyone. It is. They are so good defensively, uh, and and they were able to turn – so much of what they did uh, defensively in the first week into offense. They do struggle at times to score. I think the problem for Musselman this week will be too many options for UConn, uh, too much depth, too much versatility. And it's, it's, you know, I think the teams that he was playing this past week, you know, if you, if you were able to contain a couple of guys, you were probably going to be okay. With UConn, you just got too many guys to stop. It would take, uh, guys like uh, Caravan and Jordan Hawkins and Jackson and and Sonogo to all have bad games. And even if they don't particularly score that well, they can bring Calcaterra, uh, a sharp shooting three baller that transferred from uh, California. Joey California is his nickname uh, for Dan Hurley. And, and also Klingon, the big 7-2 face-up center, could come in for Sonogo in certain matchups and I think this may be one of those against Arkansas, a face-up post player versus a back-to-the-basket post player, which is what Sonogo is. Now, Sonogo's worked on his perimeter shooting. He can bring you out by nailing some threes. He has improved mightily. I think he got word from scouts that he needed to get that part of his game improved so he could be maybe uh, drafted late first or early second. But uh, UConn is the, the deepest and most versatile team left in this field. I, I don't have them getting out of the region, uh, but I do have them getting past Arkansas. In your mind, what's the best matchup of the Sweet 16? It's not about seeds. It's about well, matchup, as you mentioned. What are you pointing yeah, to? Yeah. Uh, UCLA and Gonzaga, part two. You know, those two had an incredible game back in 21 when no fans were able to get there. And you may recall the way that game ended. <laughs> it was just uh, unbelievable the way the game ended. And I think that. You know, styles make contrasts, which make for great matchups. And and Gonzaga wants to move up and down the floor very quickly. They've got a big in Drew Timmy that runs the floor as well as any big I've ever seen. 
who has incredible moves with the ball as well as when he's playing with his back to the basket. Uh, he is as big a, a, a performer offensively for that team uh, as I think any Mark Few has ever had. But now you look at UCLA and you see that big kid that, that's not played a lot of basketball, played a lot of soccer. I saw them earlier in the year on a Saturday night Fox primetime game uh, against Colorado at Pauley. Not a bad Colorado team. And and he, Bone was, Bono was incredible. I mean, he's a very big, strong athlete. And then when you look at Jaime Jaquez, he is the worst player to try to defend uh, in this field. Uh, he has so much game, so much grit. He's a combination role player and star. And you don't have that usually uh, in a guy. He he can affect the game even if he's not scoring. And uh, Tiger Campbell is an experienced guard, but they're going to beat you with their defense. UCLA is all about defense. If you've ever been to one of uh, – Mick Cronin's uh, practices, it is startling, okay, how hands-on he is with a defensive scout. And I think that uh, the next generation is, though, if you will, uh, he, you know, Cronin's a little earlier, than, uh, a little younger than than um, Coach Izzo. He's one of the few coaches left that's actually older than me, Tom. But, but honestly, I think Cronin and UCLA now, with that bracket being what it is, and when they would be in a position to take on a team, uh, like, like the one they're going to have to beat to get to the final four, I think they can do it. Uh, about, I would take UCLA over the Zags uh, in that region. That's that's who I have. And you mentioned the history there between the two programs. It will be 17 years to the day from that classic 11 point comeback by UCLA and the classic yep. shot of Adam Morrison in that look of shock <laughs> and disgust and sadness as Gonzaga right. was right. was knocked out. 17 years to the day back in 2006, and it's one of the more iconic photos of the madness since we hit the century, Mark Jack. And now yeah. Adam Morrison's uh, in I, a co commercial yeah, for March right. Madness. Yeah. Every commercial break. It's amazing. Sometimes it sometimes it pays to cry. It does. You know, it does. <laughs> um, so since we're you know admitting mistakes from, from last week with, with your Arizona pick, I'll, I'll admit even asking you the question, Tim, about is Charles Barkley a good idea in the studio or not because he covers NBA most of the time, that was a dumb question by me because he's been terrific. And I knew he probably yeah, would be. I, but I think the way yeah. they utilize him is great. And that, that leads me into a question about the response to the Tennessee-Duke game from national media. Charles Barkley loved the way Tennessee played. Said he was his favorite team mm -hmm. of the day. They just exerted their will against Duke. Loved the game plan. Jay Billis mm -hmm. comes out and says Tennessee only won because they were allowed to play a rugby scrum the entire game, yeah. and the way yeah. the game was officiated was how they won the game. Yeah. Coach K right. comes out and says, no, Tennessee was better. They played defense like that all year, and their offense yeah. started clicking. End of story. And that's how the game ended. Where do you fall on this whole narrative that Tennessee is now a dirty team under Rick Barnes, the way they play? Because FAU is well, already petitioning the refs in every comment yeah. they make about they got to get yeah. ready for an Australian yeah. rules football game. <laughs> well, I, I like Jay and I like Charles, okay? But they have different views of the game because of the way they play. And the way the game uh, is called is uh, a subjective uh, thought process, okay? On the one hand, you know, we, we do see scores now that are hard to, to fathom. Teams barely able to break 50 marching on, all right? Uh, coaches inherently love teaching defense more than they do offense. And not all of them know uh, offense to the extent 
that they can play another way. Like if you want to play a half court game, that's the way it's going to be. You know, Izzo's that way. His program is what it is. They're going to be physical. It's going to be football on a basketball court. He wants to define, have the officials define what a foul is going to be. Al McGuire used to say it great. You know, a quick whistle or a loose whistle favors this or that team. I've always felt that every game, every crew, every team is an individual team crew. I, I don't think blanket statements necessarily resonate for the entire tournament. But I think what Jay does is he takes a, a given stat about number of points scored, okay, per possession, and he looks at the analytics of it and he says, you know, we don't have the freedom of movement that we really need. Well, a lot of that is a byproduct of the way college basketball governs itself with officiating. I don't think most fans know this, but every conference has its own supervisor of officials. All right. And those conferences want their game to be played a certain way. All right. Summer for, for years, the ACC was always a quick whistle. Jay played in that league. Uh, but in the Big East and the Big Ten, it was a much more physical game. That's the way they wanted to play it. Go back and look at the 30 for 30 on uh, Requiem of the Big East. You did not go into the lane with a, a, a an unabated layup. It just did not happen. All right. Uh, Barkley, on the other hand, you know, he wanted contact and 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 to be able to play through the contact on the post. It made him a, a superstar player at the NBA level. You know, Charles's stats in college, uh, even through the 84 season, his last at Auburn were not fantastic. They weren't. But when he got into the league, and the league at that time had the bad boys in Detroit, and you had Riley, who was coaching probably the most physical team with Oakley and those guys in New York, uh, that that served Barkley well, no matter where he played, whether it was with the 76ers or out in Phoenix or in Houston. He loved that. Bottom line to me is this. We need to fix the way the game is officiated completely in college basketball. We need one national supervisor. Most of these officials are working for one supervisor during the regular season, but they're also trying at the end of the year to make sure that the supervisor of the NCAA tournament doesn't look at the way they're calling the game and say, you know what, I'm not going to bring him in. So we're serving two purposes, and and we got to, like, I think the same is true in football, by the way. We don't need different uh, officiating supervisors. We need one right across the board. And uh, those, those, those conference commissioners can do that if they'll ever begin to agree on anything. It's somewhere in between, best way to put it. But let me say this about Tennessee. To do what they did without Zach Ziegler, was amazing. So Jay's statement about the only reason they won that game was because of the the physical manner in which the game was allowed to be played is false. Okay, so to get direct to your point, that's false. Rick Barnes has been physical at Providence. He was so physical, he had Dean Smith calling the ACC office for years when he was at Clemson. And Clemson barely beat North Carolina. Yeah. And they, 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 it took him forever to have a chance to win in Chapel Hill. And uh, he, you know, Barnes won some at Clemson, but that was it. So uh, that debate can rage on all at once. But I love the fact that every game is different and the officials that are calling the game will allow this or that. It's up to the players and the coaches, okay, to adjust to that. That's what Al McGuire always said. It's what Bill Raftery says to this day. And I completely agree. That is an answer with a lot of depth. We appreciate that. So with all due respect to Princeton and San Diego State, does Creighton have what it takes to knock off Alabama in the Elite Eight if that matchup happens, which I think it will? 
Yeah, I do too. I I, I think the better, uh, I think the media really wants the Princeton Alabama story, don't they? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's the one they really Good want. Good versus evil in but, that but, one. Oh yeah, that's exactly <laughs> the way they play it. But but let me say this about Creighton: uh, very few teams that are left out of these sixteen have five guys on the floor averaging double figures or right at double figures. Last time I had Creighton, five guys were in double figures. Their problem is lack of depth, and with lack of depth comes the issue of what if Colt Brenner gets into foul difficulty? You know, those six straight games they lost uh, after they got out to that quick start uh, prior to the conference season getting going was because Ryan Colt Brenner wasn't available to play. He got hurt. Since Ryan Colt Brenner returned, they've been outstanding in every game, really, except the ones that he's gotten into early foul difficulty. And that, that could be a problem, and they could possibly run out of gas. When you're playing against a team uh, like Alabama, that's so athletic, you're going to have to run up and down the floor. It will be the kind of 94-foot game that, uh, if it happens uh, in the Elite Eight, it will be the kind of 94-foot game that Ryan Nimhart is a guard and uh, Shireman as the wing player, and certainly uh, Kaluma. I think Art Kaluma is probably uh, the most athletic talent that, um, that Coach Mack has on his team. Those guys will love it early. But how much juice will they have in the tank when they get late in the game and Alabama's size and athleticism overall can, you know, really uh, make it difficult for them? Uh, I I think they can possibly win the game, but I'm not going to pick them to win the game. (laughs) Tim, real quick, uh, surprise Final Four team will be who? Kansas State. I don't know if you guys saw how they handled Kentucky with KC Noel. My goodness. And when somebody says to me that Kansas State may not be physical enough to handle Michigan State, I beg to differ. Jerome Tang's team is tough. They've got guys that didn't play well in their last game to punch their ticket. Uh, They didn't really look for shots, didn't play with necessarily a lot of confidence. Kansas State has been that team in the Big 12 that, in my mind, solidified the league as the best conference in America. When I saw them do what they did to Kansas, when I saw them – uh, play in their most recent game and really play from behind in a lot of that game uh, against UK. I, they did not allow, okay, they did not allow uh, Kentucky's big to get where he wanted to go, you know, and, and as good as Shibway is, he just, he he had to earn everything he got and he didn't get a lot of help. If they can knock down more shots, and I think it's hard to shoot as poorly as they did the other day, But Noel will always either get him a bucket or he'll make an incredible pass that turns the building on. And when you're in New York, uh, yeah, there are a lot of Michigan State fans that are going to be there. No no question. Not as many as maybe Duke would have had had they gotten there. But the underdog is going to be adopted by the fans uh, in Madison Square Garden. And I think Kansas State is clearly, regardless of the seating number that's next to their name, they're going to be the outlier. Okay, of those teams in terms of basketball tradition. And I think when you see a, a guard like Casey Noel, you go, my God, I love to see him play. I want to see him play again. And, and I think he will win over. He'll be the star of New York, uh, in my opinion. So that, that, that is my surprise story. I'm sticking to it. I think Houston will hold serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see Marcus Sasser. That's one thing I think I did get right. Marcus Sasser, yeah. even though he, he was judicious with the minutes Kelvin Sampson gave him, uh, and he wasn't uh, able to go through the entire first half in the first game. 
you saw him slowly return to his normal form. I think that they will be able to handle Xavier, who I think will beat Texas, and move on to the Final Four. And I also like UCLA. So uh, Bama, uh, Houston, UCLA, and Kansas State. That's my Final Four. How excited are you that Rick Pitino is back in the Big East at St. John's? (laughs) You know, he always wins the press conference, and then he wins early, no matter where he goes. That's what's going to happen. And and yesterday he did. I think it's great for the league. I'm sure Val Ackerman, uh, the commissioner of the Big East, is really happy to see this, especially on a week when she's got three teams in the Sweet 16 already. Uh, To restore Georgetown and New York, which I think has happened, I was surprised at Ed Cooley. Uh, I, I, I never thought he'd leave Providence, and I don't think he felt that he would leave Providence. But I, honestly, at this stage of his career, I can see why he wants to coach a brand, wants to coach in a major city that's going to uh, bring in a lot more publicity for his program nationally than Providence, Providence ever did. And I think if Kim English is, in fact, the guy, and I hear he is, uh, for Providence coming over from George Mason, that's a good hire. I think it's win-win-win for the Big East with what happened this past week in coaching. Tim, let's do this again. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll preview the Final Four with you a week from now. Happy to do it. I will be in Houston. Nice. But uh, I don't leave until Thursday morning. I'll be uh, hosting and emceeing the Champions Luncheon for the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. And I don't miss Final Fours. There are other championships I really don't care about, but the uh, NCAA Basketball Tournament Championship. I've, I've only missed four since 1981, and that includes the COVID year when none of us could go. Well, we look forward to talking yeah, to you again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim. You bet. Happy to do it. Tim Brando, Fox Sports. Uh, great play-by-play voice and uh, great analysis there as we preview the Sweet 16. We'll do that later in the show as well with John Fanta of Field of 68. Uh, when we come back, Giselle, the presumption was they were Giselle and Tom were having a big beef over football. Ultimatum. An NFL that ultimatum. That wasn't the case. This is coming up on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Coming up, we will reseed the Sweet 16. Find out where Chad and I differ on opinions of a team that can make a certain run versus our favorites. I think they'll be the same. I think. Uh, Chad, more surprising to you that Giselle says that the divorce with with Brady didn't come down to football or that uh, Larsa Pippen was having sex four times a day for 23 straight years. Tell me which is which of the two stories is a straight up lie. I think that the Giselle story is way more believable no than Lars of Pippen because yes. that feels physically impossible. Um, what Giselle's saying is completely believable. Look, I, I, I've not read the entirety of the Vanity Fair piece and interview. I, I've read pieces of it. I read the Cliff Notes version of it mm. that you can read right now at out, outkick.com. Uh, I buy what she's saying. I mean, it's not just one thing. You know, she said this was something that was happening for two to three years and that it wasn't some ultimatum, that she always supported him and cheered him on and wanted him to, I think, the way she said, fulfill all of his dreams, that she always rooted for him to do those things, but that now one of her dreams is dying. 
I, I didn't know how to take that if she's saying that because he kept playing, her dream of continuing to work more was dying, or that because their marriage is over, that dream died. I think it's the latter, but I'm not really sure. She talked about the difficulty of him fathering a child with uh, Michelle Moynihan also, mm. and uh, the actress, or Bridget Moynihan. Bridget, I think. Bridget Moynihan. Michelle Monaghan's a different actress. Bridget Moynihan was the actress I was thinking about. They're going to get back together. Yeah, so... Um, That's what I'm saying. Giselle and Tom? Yeah. They Maybe. can't stop talking this, about this could, be, this could be a phase. Now, I'm sure she was paid a lot of money to go to Vanity Fair with her first interview and say this, so I think the money had, had a piece in this. Brady's saying a lot less than she is at this point. She also denied that she's with the guy that was the trainer or the one that was around him, said it was just a good friend. And Tom's not seen anyone also either. Also denied being with their billionaire friend yeah. as well. So Tom hasn't seen anyone, but yeah, I'm sure. possibly uh, you know, the Dolphins ownership group. Tom's just uh, you know, Mr. Mom now. <laughs> dad, Father of the year. So Tom Brady, he's just out there being a dad th- at this, this point. Is, Nothing else is going on. It's absolutely believable what she's saying because uh, – I mean, how he's the goat, and she got with him and married him, knowing about the the career. And if it goes back two or three years, it goes back to that year in Foxborough, and the following off season is the COVID off season, and he goes and wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay the following year, and he sticks around. They have the comeback against the Los Angeles Rams at Raymond James Stadium, and if not for Matthew Stafford's throw to Cooper Cup to set up the field goal. The Bucks are going to the NFC Championship game to take on, what, San Francisco. Um, and I believe they would host them, if I'm not mistaken, in that. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and then this past year was what it was. Um, Brady definitely has more football in him. But I believe him when he says he's done. And I believe Giselle when she says it wasn't just football, like everyone made it out to be with this ultimatum. Because if it was just football... She, Giselle is not sticking around for three years if it was just football, if it was been going on that long. Right? So, yeah. So, if you're Giselle, why do you do it? It's like, why would Tom stick with someone he doesn't want to be with? Why would Giselle do the same thing? Like, it, it goes both ways with right. that. Right. They both, they both have options for sure. And um, they will end up back together. Right. So, on a, on a reality show, maybe, Chad. Or, or uh, ESPN 30 for 30. I had to look this up because you got my mind wondering when okay. you said they're going to get back together. Bridget Moynihan is married to someone else right now because I wanted to put out a poll. Oh. Tom Brady's, who he's going to end up with. So, Ultimately, Giselle let's, Moynihan. He's got two baby mamas, right? Yeah. yeah. Or other. We just go other in that. But she is. Or I all. I'm not trying all of to. All above should be I'm not trying too. to insert Tom into her marriage. She is married to a businessman named Andrew Frankel. They got married in the Hamptons in 2015. And to my knowledge, they're still happily married. He has three kids from a previous marriage that he brought. Of course, she has the, the child with Tom Brady. Um, but it's interesting to think about them possibly getting together. I'm not going to rule that out. Because they both you know what, seem though? to still be pretty obsessed with each other. I will rule out this. Scotty's not getting back with Larsa. No, not, not anytime soon. How do you think Scotty feels about that, by the way? When you have your ex-wife saying, uh, oh, yeah, I had sex four times a day for 23 years, and you know you know that's a lie just based on your, your own personal knowledge of that. And then you think, what if it's true? My first thought was... <laughs> what if um, it's true? Yeah, what if, what if that's true? A couple thoughts. One was, now we know how Scottie Pippen stayed so thin for so many years (laughs) because that's a lot of cardio. That's a lot of working out. 
Um, and the whole thing with Jordan's son. son. I mean, of just, if you're Scotty, just say, of all the, the sons out there, you know, Bill Winnington's kid, Ron Harper's kid, does Steve Kerr have a child? I don't know. It, Tony anyone Kukoc. else, of all the teammates, you had to go Tony to Jordan. Kukoc. The one guy that was better than me and better than anyone on the planet that I had this little bit of a rivalry with, where you know Jordan's in, in the 30 for 30 or the, the last dance saying, you know, Scotty was being selfish. It had to be Jordan's kid? That'd be my question. If all the kids you could have gotten with, all the sons of the players, you had to go to MJ's son? Do you think Scotty or MJ seems, found out about the relationship first? Scotty or MJ found out about the relationship first? Oh, MJ. MJ always <laughs> the does. The day of. Look, there's a one and there's a two. <laughs> MJ one, Scotty two. No doubt about it. Well, it's some headlines and we reseed the Sweet 16. That's next in Outkick 360.